Welcome back to the Purple Worm Podcast, a podcast where four British blokes talk about RPGs. I'm John, and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Pete Jones, Dave Aldridge, and of course, Colin Green. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about ways that you can spice up combats in your RPGs. Obviously, combat, for, for good or bad, is a fairly hefty part of a lot of RPGs. But part of the issue with combat is they can become a little samey or a little bit of a slog if they go along. So we've been trying to think up some ways. You know, you can just sort of keep that interest going and sort of keep your combat spiced up. And one of the things I'd like to suggest initially is, I'm sure there's lots of different tips, but I'd like to suggest the idea of changing up the combat every now and again. And this is inspired by one of the mechanics from ICRPG, where at the start of each combat you have like a D4, you roll it, and then that ticks down each round, and when it gets to zero, something will happen in the combat. Now that's up to the GM, whatever that might be. It might be some more reinforcements arrive, it might be a change in the terrain, but I personally think in games I've played and games I've run, so having that little countdown timer going down to when you know something's gonna happen, it creates a little bit of tension, but also because you know some, something's going to be happening every few rounds, a bit, bit, bit more work for the for the GM, but it at least means it's not just like a big slog where you're like, all right, okay, now we're just whittling away the hit points constantly at enemies. And I think sort of having that changeability can help to keep the combat a bit fresh and just a bit less of a slog, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I put that on my list, the, the timer. I've used it in your game when yeah. we played ICRPG. I've had it in other games of ICRPG, and I, I port it into my D&D as well because I'm, I'm that keen on it. Uh, it. It just gives that focus, like you say, and um, the potential to shake things up. There's a bit of drama, a bit of suspense. I think that is a, a good pick for spicing up combat. Okay, so does anyone have any other suggestions they want to chuck in for ways that you can potentially spice up your RPG combat? I was going to come in on that just because a lot of my things were to do with timing tricks. Yeah, so so they, they follow on for the timer. So I was going to suggest um, one of the things, and this might be a matter of taste. So I'm keen to think to hear what the other worms think about this. But what, one of the things I like is I like triggered event during combat, which is also a timing trick. Um, one of the ways one of the ways of doing this, uh, for example, is the escalation die in Thirteenth Age. You know, it goes up, goes up by one each round, and you can trigger particular events on an even number on the escalation die, and like bringing things like that to the game. Another thing Thirteenth Age does is it mm-hmm. has monster actions or special monster attacks trigger um, trigger from the roll of the the roll of the die, the attack roll. And actually, you can make some fun things trigger off the player's attack. So I I, I quite often have events in a combat where I'll, I'll roll at the start of a round. Uh, I might I'll roll them a d20 result, and if one of the players uh, rolls that result during the round, then that event will trigger. So it's something a little bit swingy, a little bit surprising. It's how you can render those kinds of things which might move through the environment or things that might turn up as as characters are moving through the environment. Um, it's just a more interesting way of having them trigger 
than having them just sat in one place uh, in the combat. Um, another timing trick that I like to use is swingy durations. So quite a lot of durations in, in your older games, you know, your roll, it will last for D6 rounds. And when you do the effect, you roll the D6. Um, and I quite like having durations be a little bit unpredictable, a little bit swingy. So one thing, of course, you can do is you can use the usage die, something like the Black Hack usage die. You can import that into any game. You can use that for duration. So if you give mm -hmm. something a, a D6 usage die, um, that's going to deplete. You roll it each round. That's going to deplete on a 1 to 2. Once you've got a 1 to 2 on a D4, the effect's over. But it just makes the effect duration a little bit swingier. Um, or you can just do it if you've got, um, you know, if you've got something which lasts a certain number of, um, uh, you know, D6 rounds, then you can actually just roll one of those D6 each round. And if it comes up on a 1 to 2, you take that to one side. And that will do just as good. That will work like a like a usage die. Um, and it'll make the duration a bit swingier. You can combine both those ideas, can't you? So you could take that timer and change the trigger of the timer because the timer's on a turn trigger. Every time you yeah. get round the table, it triggers the timer moving down. If you wanted to, you could work in your idea of a more random trigger so that the timer only clicked down say if no one hit if no one hit that's right yeah or, or whatever you whatever you wanted so i like yeah i, I yeah i like triggers a bit more bit more work maybe to get that organized well so yeah to, to trigger events um, that's a little bit of work. Um, I, th I think actually one of, one of the things I like about using a usage die for duration is I actually find the bookkeeping a little bit easier because rather than checking off how long something has lasted, you know, I've got a physical dice that they can they can roll that die. Um, you know, so long as you've got the die in front of you, remember to roll that, um, but you're not having to to count down duration. So I actually find that slightly easier. In in the session, it's just more like yeah. you can spend a little time up front when you're sat on a train or whatever, jot down a few trigger ideas. That's it. That's it. And then that makes your life bookkeeping wise in session smoother and yeah. easier. Yeah, yeah, nice. I like that too. But the the other reason I like doing the timing tricks is just because it makes um it makes tactical play a little bit more difficult, a little bit less predictable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think I think I like to, yeah, I think I like to frustrate long-term plans in in combat. I like that, that's my taste. I like to have a bit of things a little bit um, swingier, a bit more surprising. So um, one of the the tricks that uh, I do is um, be, before the game, I have a a piece of paper with loads of different attack types and damage types on me, so that I can use them in the combat to try and spice it up. Because uh, it's uh, what often I. I find happens is that especially the players you know i'll hit i roll damage which is boring so i try and sort of shove word uh, shove words in so instead of saying you know skeleton 13 attack i just say so the skeleton batters you with a shield or this or the skeleton eviscerates you across the, across the back of the leg and then when i'm doing the damage i, I try and instead of just saying yeah that's six points of damage there, there's a his his claws clutch into you and drag at your skin and causing you six points of damage and hopefully by putting sort of you know some flavorful words in it sort of encourages the the players as well to sort of start thinking in that sort of terms as well yeah i think that's a good point pete i mean w one of the the sort of perpetual challenges for my mind with um, combat is precisely how much description you put into a combat mm -hmm. so like the examples you were doing there absolutely great so if you're like oh yeah the the skeleton like rates you with his bony fingers for six damage or whatever that's a nice amount of description lets you know what's going on but it's not so much description mm -hmm. that it's bogging down the combat that's and sort right, of yeah. slowing it down because obviously you want to try and maintain maintain a sort of pace and we know that you're on a bit of a losing streak when it comes to combat anyway because you obviously you're playing out stuff that where it actually happening each round is like a few seconds mm. but obviously because it's because it's a game and you have to go through rules and stuff like that it does slow the pace of a combat down so obviously you have to try and then sort of 
ramp it back up so it still feels like it's a frantic sort of action-paced scene and i think using a certain amount of description is absolutely great and absolutely right it should be done however i have played in games as well where you had gems where they get they almost get so much into describing like what's going on in a combat that it almost becomes like an end unto itself yeah. you've been sat there for 30 seconds while they're describing like this um, yeah, this ogre who's here with a club and you're like all right i get it he's like is that port my leg with a club can we like move on to the next round yeah it, it's it's a it's a fine balance and it's sort of uh, getting it right isn't it yeah. yeah, yeah, there is there is a bit of a danger that it also becomes like overly sickening as well. You know, if it goes yeah. on and on, it's just mm. a bit like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. That can depend as well very much on what sort of game you're running as well. I mean, yeah, if yeah. you're running some like gritty, uh, I don't know, sort of down to earth like game, and you want to describe how you've got like critical hits, and you want to describe how like every limb gets pulped or cut or whatever, that that might be suitable for that sort of game. But it might it might be less suitable, like say, if you're running a sort of like high actions of a superhero style game mm. or, or if you're treating your hit points in an abstract way exactly so we're yeah. playing bastion land at the moment and you've got your hit protection your hit protection isn't wounds you don't start getting eviscerated until you start taking strength damage um so that's that's quite fun to have to come up with the descriptions for that to describe you know the gaining of a small advantage by yeah. whittling down hit protection but not actually inflicting because i because i actually will resort to if in doubt i will just describe a, a, a sickening wound because i don't think you can have too much yeah yeah <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm pretty much the same uh, one of the things i do like to do on on occasion not all the time i mean obviously all of these sort of things have to be used like with a bit of a sort of light touch one of the things i will do on occasion is just like turn the sort of description of like a blow like so let's say like to use my example of an ogre's hit a player character with his big club i'll turn it over to the players and say like, all right this ogre's hit you for that much damage like what's happened to your character and then obviously they can describe like oh i've been it, I, I caught the blow on my armor but it's crumpled one of my like armor plates and it's sticking into my side or whatever and again you have to sort of know your players or that because some people like having that sort of agency to describe how their character's been affected whereas other people are maybe not quite as comfortable with it or that they're not used to doing that sort of thing so yeah you have to sort of know your players a bit before before you start doing that i think yeah i think that i think that list of descriptive words is is almost a, a general tip that you can take and apply to anything though yeah it, it puts me a little bit in mind of we were talking about Glyn Seal's Middleland setting with his list of words for green. I yes. think that was in, yeah. a, in a fairly recent episode, we said. And that's a pretty similar thing. And like a name list, the list of names that we've talked about for prep, it's handy to have that list of names. It's a, a, a common tip in your GM kit, have a list of names. Yeah. But pretty much, if if there's anything that you know you struggle to come up with, bang down a list of a few descriptive words yeah. just to get you going is is yeah. a solid is a solid tip. And I don't know how many people actually do that. I don't know. I was going to say I think yeah. as well it's it's quite useful. I mean I'm fairly comfortable with coming up with terms to describe things in a game. But if you're distracted, you're thinking about something else, or you're trying to think ahead to what's going on in the next round, and someone out of nowhere suddenly goes, "Oh, what's happened with this?" It can sort of throw throw your thoughts off the track a little bit and sort of stump you for a few moments and you have to think about it so that's when sort of having this this list of words or obviously if you're running a game online you've got a computer there's like online thesaurus and online name generators are plenty which you can have there but it is handy to have that even if you're you're fairly comfortable with that just in case you get to a point where you're like oh i didn't think about that or i was thinking about something else you can refer to your list and it saves you having to like pause for a few minutes which as we were just saying in the middle of a combat where you're trying to keep it all sort of fast pace and action packed if you have to sort of stop for a couple of minutes and be like oh what would be a suitable word for for describing that 
that can sort of slow down the combat and sort of bring an unwelcome pause to it. Yeah, so on a, a sort of a related note, my tip is to do with scenery in combat. Yeah. And I... I think it's easy just to sort of lack a bit of inspiration in in the uh, the scenery department. Quite easy to f- rely on your your VTT or your map or something uh, on roll twenty, and everybody's just picturing this flat level surface, and it, it's um, there's no impediment to movement, nothing to upset the combat. And I actually think that um, Adventures in Middle Earth, the Loremaster's Guide, has got a great list. You know. You know, you might, some people might say it's a bit excessive. It goes on one, two, three, four, five, six. They've got seven pages, which in a RPG book, I would say is quite extensive. But what they do, they, they break it into sort of um, different types of terrain or categories, and then they, they describe an element of the terrain. So just for an example, I'll read one out. In the section called The Wild, there's a little quote there that says, fly you fools, and then there's bog. So a bog deeper than simple mud a bog whether formed of marshy peat a flooded river or torrential rain presents a challenging battleground then there's two bullet points boggy areas count as difficult terrain half movement creatures gain one level of exhaustion for every three rounds they fight in a bog so it's pretty simple you've got a little bit of a timer introduced with the exhaustion every three rounds you're kind of getting knackered so um, something like that I think that would make just that alone would spice up a combat and there's multiple examples of little uses of the the fifth edition rules are just kind of clever and spice things up which is what we're what we're trying to do uh, I, yeah, don't know if, I don't yeah. know if you guys know any. Yeah, other... I think I think that's a good tip. If if the players are not only going to contend with sort of the enemy, but have got some environmental um, matter to deal with, like you know they're in sort of slow moving sand, so they can't run away from the big beast coming. You know, it's it's it, it spices it up for everybody for the GM as well, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think terrain something that's often sort of in in the sort of general hub of everything else going on. It's often something that can fall a little bit by the wayside, and like you were saying, Colin, if you've got like your VT you've got lots of wide open plains maybe a few trees or a few rocks and that 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 can tend to sort of be it which is a bit of a shame because there's obviously a, a wide gamut of different terrain that yeah, um, players and npcs can use for cover they can use for get bonuses etc so this is an interesting thing that you you know we 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 are inclined to forget this but we are more likely to remember when we are when we're using a tactical tabletop you know yeah. if you've got a grid out you're going to remember things like terrain. You're going to start putting things down on the grids. Um, it's it, I, I imagine it's more difficult to remember that you can use the environment when you're doing a more theatre of mind combat situation. So I suppose I suppose a bit of advice is to is to you know is to still remember to remind players. You know, you were saying not getting too involved in these descriptions. Yeah. Well, one of the things you can do in your descriptions is remind players that there are other interesting things around them that they might riff off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one of I think that's absolutely right. Um, one of the things I I've, I've done previously when I've been running like Fate or games where I don't tend to use maps uh, to bring it back to like the whole list of terms again is if I'm if I'm running a combat and there's like a few notable bits of terrain around I'll just have like a little list of bullet points with like barrels 
large flat stones and just like a few things bullet pointed on yeah. so it's there as a reminder for the players and they know they can use that but one of the ways I've found to remind players are like oh yeah the terrain's something we can actually use rather than just something that's passively there is have a couple of NPCs use right. it so like if they, if they get into a, a combat in like a barn or something and I, I've got my, like, my little note there saying oh there's hay bales there's barrels there's a water trough there's a couple of horses reined up or whatever having one of the NPCs rather than just make I mean I can just roll this straightforward attack but if I describe it as oh he kicks one of the barrels towards you it reminds players that like oh yeah there is the terrain there and there's things about and we can use those in combat because obviously anything the, the NPCs can do the players can do and vice versa that's what I thought was what when I read Fate for the first time. That was one of the things I thought was really great. That idea of they're called aspects, isn't they? Yeah. Or, or they can they can be aspects. I, I guess they don't have to be. But yeah. to see to see this list in like was was basically a D and D spin off was great. I mean, I think it's a great resource. Like for, for inspiration alone, that like the woodland the woodland list has got perhaps a, a dozen things. So, you know, it's got like bracken, thick tree trunks, fallen trees, mossy root-covered masonry, mud, nettles and briars. I mean, it goes on and on. It It's a really good template for you to go away and come up with your own stuff as well. And I'd like to see more stuff like this. Because it's like a, it, it, at this point, it's a tool, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of a, a tool that you could you could take to almost any system. These seven pages, take them out, and with a few sort of tweaks to the the mechanisms, you, you they're perfectly well, usable it, elsewhere. In fact, you don't even need the mechanisms, do you? Because if no, you're going to use it system, not you can do that. But it's what what you can't necessarily think of is that you know overgrown brick, nettles yeah. and briars. You know, it's that kind of stuff. So even that's a nice zine idea, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, just if you like just took whole, out just the tags, table of took out tags, yeah. 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 yeah I think it's um I think it's critical hit publishing who've done like a series of books for fifth edition which uh, cover different types of terrain and that is literally each book is here's how you can represent different types of terrain both in terms of description and if you want them to have some sort of game effect on like the mechanisms of the game okay. uh, right. and that's quite cool I think it's a, it's an important thing though to distinguish between having terrain that's just there for like flavour and description that's not to say that sort of like put that down in any way because obviously description is at the heart of role playing if there's no description the game doesn't really happen but I think it's wise to draw a distinction between things that are just there for flavour and things that have an actual game effect and mm-hmm. to sort of make that a bit clear from the start now there's a few ways you can do that like let's say um, let's say I'm running a group of players and they, they're engaging with uh, some goblins or something and it's in like a, a marshy swamp that you step in and the water comes up to your knees now if I sort of describe that and say things like oh it's going to be quite difficult to move it's quite heavy going in that swamp you'd expect it to have a, some sort of game effect whereas if I'm if they're just doing a combat and I'm like oh there's just like a few pools of water like lying around that sounds like more of a descriptive thing and I think either of those approaches can work but I think it's a good idea to like to let the players know whether stuff's going to have a game effect because obviously if you know you can just run across the swamp and it's not going to slow you down you're not going to be losing hit points you might have your actions be different than if you know if you wade in there you're going to be taking movement penalties you're going to be getting exhausted as colin was saying with his example so i certainly know as a player i'd behave differently i don't know it's like a little bit meta but i'd behave differently if i knew that it was going to have a game effect than if it was just purely description well you mentioned the meta there i wouldn't have a problem with that at all i don't mind a little bit of meta in fact sometimes to remind us all that we're playing 
playing a game, I don't mind chucking in a little bit of talk about a rule, especially if it's a rule that kind of is exciting in some way. And I think it's a little bit different. You know, you know how you can have an exciting rule. Yeah, uh, I don't have a problem with that, but some people will be upset, call them out of the immersion, the immersion of, of the game. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to be honest, I think obviously, obviously, immersion is important. I'm not saying it isn't, but I think it's one of those terms that sort of gets overused quite a lot in discussion about role playing games. Because like, I, I could be as immersed as you like in a game. I could be really enjoying it, loving every minute of it. But it doesn't change the fact at the end of the day that I know in in my mind I'm playing a game. I'm sat in my room on a chair with my friends playing a game. So you're never a hundred percent immersed in it. I mean, I can't think of anyone who's been playing a game and they've been that immersed that they forgotten they're playing an actual game so I think I think, yeah as long as everyone's enjoying themselves if you, if you need to stop and have a bit of a discussion about that stuff it's not really going to hurt the game in the long term to be honest as long as you're not sort of grinding the session to a halt to have like a discussion about something that's not relevant if it's relevant and you're like we need to discuss this before we move on better to do it and then everyone moves on sort of on the same footing I think Another thing I think as a GM, if you've got a player who you're in a fight scene and he says, oh, can, can I pick up a table, you know, a table uh, leg or a chet and use that as a weapon and say, yeah, of course you can and give them some reward. And if you give them some reward for it, maybe some of the other players will think, oh, actually, if I, if I can do something like that, you give me a, a bonus and you know, try and encourage them that way. You know, like, like so this is, animals. yeah, that, that links to a response I was going to make. And my apologies because I dropped out slightly. So I don't know if you, if you already started on this, but when you were talking about flagging up the things that you can interact with yeah that that make that made distinct to me what is one of the important differences for me between rpgs and any other game medium like a video game text game game book is that is that i mean i can do that i can flag things up i can flag up what's interactive the beauty of the rpg is anything can be pulled from the background narrative description and can become a significant interactable item yeah um, solely by uh, a player investing a little bit of interest in that item so what so actually what you've chucked out as a descriptive comment those pulls a player might just you know that might just strike with a player and they, they come up with a plan and that's the beauty to me of the, the flexibility of the form yeah it's something that just throw away to you but to them become so significant uh, that they form a plan around it and it seems like you know that's the that's one of the particular joys to me of this of this medium yeah absolutely and one of the things i always try and encourage is if i'm if i'm running a combat i, I i'll say to people and i'll try and make it known that like obviously i'm not going to describe every last little thing in the the place you are so do you use my example of like the barn where there's a fight going on that i used previously if uh, if i'm running that i'll say to people like if you think of something that might conceivably be there but i've maybe not described it specifically like let's say one of the player characters go oh is there is there a spade lying around because like my, my weapon got smashed i'm gonna look for like a spade or a rake or something and i'm gonna try and use an improvised weapon i'll say even though i've maybe not said there's a spade there if you think i mean you can always ask or just go with it and chances are if it's something that's that would likely be in that location and i've not got a compelling reason to say no that isn't there i'll just be like yeah sure go go for it because you're just enriching the game so my response to that depending on system might well be all right test for luck um, yeah. or give me a penny or you know d6 chance is there a rake yeah on, so on a how, four or above how do you how do you go with the, the dude who goes i'll oh, just pick up that spade and hit him with it well how do i go you with know, it you know that you know the sort of your alpha player because i'd probably go i'll pick up that spade i'll pick up that spade hit him with that spade do you just go along with that or yeah, I, I mean, or, to, to, to or be fair, say, well, let's see. Well, let's just see if there is a spade. Would you? Would you just? 
it, it, you just it, for me, tweak it back a little bit, little shift it back a little? For me, it depends where you are. Like, if you're in the yeah. middle of a forest mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm just going to pick up a nearby spade, I'll be like, oh, I'll like, roll me, roll me. No, I know, but you know what I mean? If I'll yeah, be like, yeah, yeah. in that case, I'll be like, roll a D6 or a D12. If you get a one, luckily, there just happens to be a spade here. Maybe a trapper's left it or something. Cool. If, however, you're like, oh, I'm in someone's garden shed and you're like, oh, I'm just going to grab a spade, I'll just be like, yeah, go for it because there, there yeah. probably would be a spade there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I mean, if they really insist a spade's there, you know, the, what, one of the one of the sort of low low conflict ways of resolving that is to just go, yeah, go ahead, hit them with it, and then when they ask you what bonus they get or what damage, just tell them it's the same as their un- unarmed unarmed when they do unarmed damage. There yeah, because you you're not proficient with that or <laughs> yeah, anything. You don't know. make any difference. <laughs> now you gain nothing from having a spade. But that would be fine. See, I think. Yeah. That, that would be fine because probably probably the person who's saying it is someone that just wants the action to keep going fast. Yeah. They just think it will look cool. Yeah. Don't really care what the damage is. So, you know, it's just cool and, yeah. Hmm. But, but that, that's quite often how you get, like, cool things out. I think um, I think Joe Richter mentioned it in his podcast where uh, one of his Pathfinder players had, uh, had, like, rolled, like, 320s in a row and, like, decapitated someone with a spade or something and they'd mm-hmm. kept the spade. And even though they'd got fancier sort of magical weapons when it really got down to it they used this spade because it was something interesting and they had that story and that connection with it and i think lonely yeah that was lonely adventurer yeah lonely adventurer was talking about that and it's a classic i mean that's uh one of the things if you play you know delving deeper or the original DD, when everything's a d6 doesn't matter what the weapon is so you we had people coming around with a a staff using a staff in combat where as you're playing like fifth edition you've got the guy who wants to buy get the Warhammer two-handed so you can get the extra die damage. If everything is the same, it doesn't make a difference what it is, but it, it, and you find that the players add flavour to the, the weapons then because every weapon does the same, but it just looks different at all. Yeah, and as far as I'm concerned, I mean, if it adds something to the story and it, it gives a little bit of history to like maybe like this character is carrying a spade with them or whatever, or mm. this staff with them, then that's great because it means they've got a connection to that item rather than it just being like, oh, I've, I've got generic broadsword or whatever yeah. that, I, that I use in combat. If they're like, oh, this the, this is the spade I found in that garden his shed when we got attacked by those goblins and I used it to take out their leader and I've kept it with me like, all these years that's great because that's like adding extra layers to, to the sort of story in the background all off some random thing that the players want to use now as a GM obviously we want to make like the game as interesting as possible why wouldn't you embrace something that just adds a bit of extra detail to the game what about on the subject of immersion then and maybe like you know avoiding metagaming or not being worried about metagaming do you keep the rules out out of the, the scene or do you bring rules in what do you do what do you do about say pete you you give the example of the guy who picks up the chair leg yeah if you're running a game you're the dm want to get into a discussion about the merits of a chair leg before they get into using it you know no you, no, you don't no. no i'll just say that if somebody says oh what what damage does it do i'll take a guess of it and say this is the ruling i'm going to make now let's get on with it and if we look at it out of game and it changes then next time we'll change it but now we'll roll with it and yeah no so i didn't mean i, di- I didn't really mean uh, yeah i didn't really mean actually refer to the rules i just mean that conversation because i can imagine maybe some dms would say oh well you've never used a chair leg you'll have to hit them and find out how you get on or is that just one of those one of those uh, sort of duff tricks that's, that the yeah, gm I, sometimes I, pulls I, yeah i think it's a duff trick but i also think if you're playing with uh, regular players you know what sort of tricks that they're going to 
Liverpool anyway. So when they come out with it, it's not often they, they surprise you because there's, there's certain ones you think, yeah, I'm just waiting for, for something clever to come up now. And I usually go with it. It entertains me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're, you're onto it. With sometimes people just want to do cool stuff. You know, within yeah. that, within that sort of economy of reward. You know, what, what people play for. For I mentioned it on my podcast recently. You know, what, what kind of successes you're playing for. Sometimes people just want the reward of someone saying, "Oh, that's awesome." Yeah, you know, that's what you've yeah. got here. Sometimes someone just you're picking it up. It's just part of the description, and all yeah. they really want is people, people to go, "Yeah, that's cool." Yeah, it's um, yeah. What I tend to do as a GM, something like that. If it's Savage Wills, give them a Benny. If it's Fivey, yeah, have an inspiration. You entertain me. That's a good idea. But even but even out, outside of the mechanics of the game, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you've got that option of simply yeah. affirming it. Yeah, you know, just simply simply telling them that it was cool. Well, well, um, well let's, let's look at it in this way. I mean, but part of the um, that sort of thing is like the stuff that people tend to remember when they're talking about sessions. So, I mean, w- which which are you more likely to hear people talking about after the session? Like, oh yeah, do you remember that time when you like you picked up that spade and you like beheaded that goblin with it and you like beat down a couple of others with it, as opposed to going like, oh. Do you remember that time when you pulled out your broadsword and you killed those three goblins? We, 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 I think I think we all know which one's more likely to be discussed afterwards. And you can you almost get a sense when you're playing a game of like, oh, this is like a cool thing. I'm going to remember this. It's going to stick in my yeah. mind. And quite often it's those cool bits of like description or you've picked up some random item and you've used it. Like say it might not give you mad damage bonuses or anything like that, but because it's cool, you're like, oh, this is something I'm going to remember and it's going to be something we'll talk about in the future. And like Dave was saying, that's a reward unto itself. Mm. Mm. So it sounds like we're forming this into a little bit of a, a tip for spicing up combat. It's allow that that coolness to happen. Don't don't shut it down because there's not a rule for picking up a dead opponent and flinging him at an adversary. Yeah. You you've got to work. You got to make that work. Allow yeah. yourself. Allow yourself to make that happen. It, it links to what Pete was saying about sort of knowing your players and knowing their tricks. Yeah. yeah. No, it goes back to that spade thing. You know, if they just want to do something cool, it doesn't hurt for there to be a spade there because they're not looking for mechanical advantage. And I think that is part of that sort of tact that you develop that kind of awareness. You know, mm. I like. I don't mind if this combat to get a little bit cinematic and mm. you know genre crazy. You know, so, so even if someone says to me. Depending on the game, but if someone says to me, "I want a wall run and then do a flip and then hit him with my sword," yeah, it's it's partly about knowing what's coming next. You know, if yeah. if you think what's coming next is so, what's the difficulty for doing that, and what's the payoff if I succeed? Well, that's one kind of decision. If what's coming next is they're already ready just to roll their standard attack, they were just trying to do a cool description, and yeah, I'm not yeah. going to quibble about that. I'm going to go, no. "Yeah, that's your fighting style." You know, you, you do Legolas, somebody else is doing Gimli. That's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but it's but but that that's part of reading your table, isn't it? And know, know, know what's going to come next. Um, right. Uh, another thing I was, I'm going to add um, for spicing up combat, but a big caveat here: you got to use this sparingly. Is the use of audio. Um, I've, I've done it on my online games, and I tend to save it if for the for the big bad, or you know, if there's some new monster they haven't fought before. Then I will, if we're doing the audio Discord, I have a separate channel, and I'll put on so either some sort of combat music or some like monster effects but I also make sure that the players know that they can turn the audio down on their end so if they don't want to listen to it they don't have to but again so use it sparingly you don't have it for every combat it gets boring but 
for the last uh, last scene, I mean, I did one the other week when we had goblins running around the back of my players and they saw it. We had some Benny Hill music going on in the background. And <laughs> it, it was absolutely hilarious. The players were talking about it for days after. So, you know, it yeah, yeah, yeah. spices it up. I, I think you're absolutely right. Though. I mean, I've, I I tend to, to do my sounds so like on Roll20, so obviously people can like mute their browser or turn it down if they don't want to hear it. But I do use it sparingly. Like if, they, we, if they're going to a scene where there's like a cult, I might have some like ominous chanting in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, we did one of the sort of adventures we did in Dolmenwood effectively there's like um, there's like this golem that's made up out of bits of like meat and food from a uh, from a place and I I got sort of like a load of animal sounds and like mashed them together and had that sort of play but then I turned it right down once the main combat had started mm, yeah. so it was like the initial sort of like roar of this creature to give him a bit of a flavour but then I turned it right down so it wasn't a case you're having to shout over that noise to make yourself hurt so I think you're absolutely right as long as it's used with a bit of a light touch which can be a great thing. So my, yeah, so God, my taste around the table is for music, actually. I like to have some stirring combat music. Um, I haven't been doing it so much in the online games because I'm never, never sure what people are actually hearing at the other end. I, I've got a, a mildly amusing little anecdote. <laughs> and I, I actually used it one time as a player, as a player on a, on a, on a stream game. And it's a little bit naughty. It was, it was before I realised about copyright strikes on YouTube and stuff like that. <laughs> So it was with uh, uh, the old dungeon user Kev, and we was playing Ash, and we'd been playing it for like months. And I got I got quite a beefy fighter type character, and we was headed into a big battle, and I knew it was coming up. And I thought, oh, what what a big bit of a laugh! So on the phone, I I had. Um, um, I had a tiger queued up and so it's you know the dunga jugga jugga bit and um, as I come on it, 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 there was a build up what, you know what you're going to do and everything and I and I just kind of they were, they were looking at me and you could see everybody wondering what's going on you could hear this music and then I just went into a description of what I was going to do and it had all the stirring music <laughs> nice uh, it, it was uh, admittedly it was a little bit distracting but it, it was, it was and, and, another another time it really works well is if you're playing a specific genre or sort of a film so for example in my Star Wars um, campaign at the beginning of every episode every session I had the old Star Wars crawl music to get Oh, yeah. the yep. and they actually loved it and if you're doing aliens you know have the emotion tracker sounds going off now and again and it's sort of you know it, it, I think it can be immersive if you just have these little snippets in there just to add a bit to it if you're going to do this sort of like the Mike Shea strong start that he advocates yeah. in the Lazy DM if you've got like a sort of a soundtrack goes with that yeah. just at the beginning for me that's easy because I don't have to I can just set it up I don't have to worry about managing it through the session yeah. mm-hmm. it just comes in and it draws everybody's attention immediately at the beginning it's like we're starting because the yep. music's going if it's got a little bit of a slow build up the conversation of the others of the of the group just sort of dwindles away you let it play long enough and then you can say your bit it can be definitely quite theatrical I love all that well I think as we were saying that it can be quite difficult to sort of maintain the pace of a combat you know you have to slow down you have to answer rules queries stuff like that you have to maybe remind people of where they're positioned whereas if you've got like a nice sort of like fast paced bit of music mm-hmm. it, it can sort of give that impression that the combat's fast paced even though maybe by necessity things have to slow down a little bit during the combat to like talk about game mechanics and stuff like that 
But um, yeah, I think having like a nice, as long as it's not distracting and what we say is players have got the option to turn it down if they want, or you maybe use it as like a bit of an intro and then scale it down for a combat. It can be great just to have something low key in the background to like keep that pace and keep that sort of rhythm of a combat going. Yeah. And, and the other thing I was going to mention is um, if you want a sort of, you know, a game with lots of sort of martial arts and stuff like that, then pick a set of rules that allows you to do that, all that cool stuff. Don't try and shoehorn it into a system that, um, that doesn't affect it. You know, pick something that, you know, a whoopsie RPG that you can do all this cool shit and you know, think about it before. So that's that's a great tip, isn't it? I mean, it's so simple. If you want to spice up your combat, start with a system that's already got spiced up combat. Yeah, you see, now I would give different advice. Uh-huh. I would give different advice. I would say if you've got a light system, you can do anything with it. Um, I'd also say even if you've got a more crunchy system, you can actually you can do things that leave the rules sort of as they are um, and yet overlay whatever kind of genre template you want onto the rules. So I'm thinking, you know, so Fifth Ed can be more gritty or more Legolas Oh, and yeah. it leaves the mechanics completely untouched. You know, yeah, people yeah. complain that Fifth Ed is geared more towards the Legolas and the Gritty. But but what I'm saying is, you know, you, you can actually leave the mechanics as they are and just arrive at an agreement that when you're describing your act, everybody can wall run, everybody can backflip, you know, <laughs> it just leaves the mechanics yeah. as they are. And I mean, I um, think, I think as well. Because it's yeah. such a level of abstraction anyway, yeah, what yeah. constitutes an exchange in combat. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you do want... That's, that's a good point, but I think if you do want to have like a... Um, a mechanical effect to like give someone like a bit of a bonus for doing a cool thing or whatever most games have a way of giving someone a bonus whether that's going like oh you've got plus two on this like to hit roll or whether it's like the advantage and disadvantage from fifth edition if you're comfortable as a gm with the system you're running it's not difficult to know how to just give the player a little bit of a bonus for for one roll if you want to do that without sort of like massively disrupting the game so if someone goes oh yeah i'm gonna leap off a wall and i'm gonna kick this guy you might be like oh i'm gonna give you like a plus one to that attack roll because you you wasn't expecting that and it's a minimal bonus so it's probably not gonna have a massive effect but it's just like a little extra reward for like there you go that there's a little reward for like doing something cool and bringing a bit of extra flavor to this combat so i've got i've got another one what about this idea of like playing with the scale so you work in a load of mooks that just like flood the scene. So rather than the usual half a dozen sort of guys, there's just like loads of loads of opponents, and you, they're just one and done. You just you can hack through them, and if you do, say you got a fighter that can do eight damage or something, you can hack through, and and then if you roll a certain roll, it just cleaves on through one, and maybe with one blow you take out three or four of them, stuff like that. Anybody? Uh, Advocate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can do other things, can't you? Because you can cluster them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take you group can have hit a, points. Yeah, you a, do a batch of a yeah, you do a batch of five and you treat them as one. They get yeah. a slightly better attack because there's more of them. Uh, yeah, and have a pool of hit points. You can do that in an abstract way. Um, yeah, I've used that. I'm I mean, doing that. I, as I was saying to you guys in the, the, the recent Middleland session, Colin, for like ICRPG, because one of the things that advocates in there is most enemies should be like one heart enemies, so they've got like 10 hit points. Yep. Now, even in the Middlelands game, I've only been for a few sessions, because of like the way ICRPG is, you guys are like pretty powerful when it comes to combat with like your spells and whatnot. So I know that realistically, unless you get like, unless you get like really shocking rolls, an enemy with like one heart. 10 hit points you guys are going to slice through them pretty easily but as i said to you guys at the time like as far as i'm concerned 
that's good because it means I can I can throw you up against a reasonable number of enemies without the whole combat bogging down and just becoming like eight rounds of you like, oh, I've taken two hit points off that guy. Oh, I've taken three hit points off that guy. Oh, I'm still trying to kill this like one orc or whatever. Whereas if you guys go in and you're like, oh, I've taken down those like three city guard or whatever in one round, I'm like, that's fine as far as I'm saying. I'm the GM. It's not like I'm going to run out of city guard NPCs to use. And if it, it allows me to put more into a combat, and it also allows the players to like look cool and get up to all sorts of hijinks during the combat. So it's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't even give hit points to me to, to my NPCs. I'll just no, I'll it and say, the, the, one, one strike and they're dead. This yeah, one, yeah. This one's one a, three, three strike and dead. Yeah. To keep it simple, makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what I'm saying. It, I think it allows, because what it does, it introduces that idea of, movement in a combat you're progressing through something especially uh, that's what a hero. Da- yeah john's used the word films, yeah <laughs> yeah john's used the word bog down we're yeah. all probably thinking of that kind of word that's yeah. the danger that's the that's the that's what you're trying to avoid that's why we're spicing yeah. it up speeding it up you want to move through a combat you need that, that leads into something which i was going to pose as a question if you didn't mind i had two or three questions that i wanted to ask you so you, yeah. yeah we talked about bog down so what happens what do you guys do at that point where you realize this combat is too easy but it's going to go on do you know what i mean there are, there are still hit points that need to be whittled down but the, the the players aren't going to take any damage or not much damage what do you do do you do you play it through to the bitter ends do you introduce morale do you make it more difficult? Do you just narrate packing it in? What's what, what's your so, advice there? I mean, there's, there's several ways you can do it. I, I've done it when I'll, I'll throw a, a, another sort of group coming in behind the uh, the PC, something else for them to worry about, or or you know they get reinforcements. But that, that's so one the, way of doing it. The make it harder one, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. So so I. I, I think that was an interesting one. Do, do players feel they're a bit cheated by that? You know, they were doing well. And now you've just do, gone and made it harder but, again. But do, do the do the players know in the the first time that you're going to do that? Because I mean, I I did one and it was going to be easy. And players then, aren't silly. So, no, <laughs> but I, I said you hear movement behind you, so I gave them a telegraph and it was something that was coming. It wasn't sort of a surprise, so they had you know a turn or two before they, they came in. But that, that's one way of doing it. I've also done it where okay, yeah, I'm going to call it there. You, you take them all out and let's move on. I've done it both ways. Yeah. yeah, I mean, with myself, I mean, what I try and do in most combats is I try and have some sort of objective in a combat that isn't just we've got to kill X amount of enemies. So in um, one of our recent Midlands games, the players were smuggling uh, barrels of black powder into the city, and they got rumbled by the city guard, basically. And I was like, oh, you see a couple of city guard who are like the ones on patrol running towards you, and they're sort of like blowing their whistles and they're shouting for like reinforcements and whatever. And the players were like, right, okay, so we, we can either deal with these two, but we want to try and do it quickly before these reinforcements arrive, or as they chose to do, they're like, we can get on these carts, effectively just sort of like barrel past these guys, try and ride away on these carts with like our real gotten gains, 
and get away quickly enough before the reinforcements arrive. Right. So in that case, I sort of right. telegraphed the fact that there might be other guards coming, and they did eventually, but because the player character's goal wasn't just to kill the guards, it was like, right, we need to get this black powder from here to here, that- past the guards. It, it didn't just become a slog. No, that's nice and spicy, actually, isn't it? Because, and you're using your, your first bit of advice there. You're putting the timer in, basically, aren't you? Okay, yeah. this is an easy combat. So here you go. Here's my D4, and that's how many rounds you've got to, to dispatch them or get away before the reinforcements come. That, that's it, exactly. Yeah. And I, when, I, when I'm using the timer, I, and, unless there's like a, a big reason for, for keeping secret what's going to happen, I do somewhat telegraph what's going to happen when it hits zero so uh, w- one of the games I played in that um, Lloyd Jan ran we were fighting a load of creatures that had like burst about the sand like sort of insect monster things and uh, as we were fighting them, so every round when this timer ticked down he was like oh you can see a patch of sand over there and it's sort of like mm. raising up like something's tunnelling to the surface and obviously we didn't know exactly what was coming out of that but we're like it's big yeah. we, we already know these insect things have come out so presumably it's a bigger one of them we'd like to deal with this and get the hell out of here before that happens. So it shifted from, oh, we're just going to attack these insect things and kill them all, to we want to attack them enough to clear a path so we can get to the cliffs off the sand and we'll be in safety, rather than just like, oh, we're going to stand there until the last one of them's been killed. Yeah. So what I have really good fun with in this situation, I'm, I'm running Numenera at the moment, and I love the intrusion, uh, the intrusion mechanic, because I can be open with, with players basically you know they're, they're they're seeing that this combat has been no particular challenge they're looking forward to the end of it they're treating their resources accordingly and i can pick a player and introduce do you want an intrusion and they know full well that i'm going to do what i'm going to do <laughs> they know full well i'm going to either i'm going to introduce a power that the monster's suddenly got you know now it's got a poison tentacle that it didn't have before or i'm going to introduce reinforcements and either way whichever choice they make um, i've made it more interesting so if they don't want the intrusion they've had to pay me so now I don't feel so bad that the combat's been too easy because at least I've taken an experience from them. Because that's the way with the intrusions. They can take the experience from you uh, and they get the bad thing. Or if they've got XP knocking about, they can buy it off. Um, but either way, I've taken what was an unbalanced combat and I've made it into an interesting decision, whether mm. they want the XP and have it harder. And it feels less like I'm just dumping an extra bit of hard on them because the combat wasn't hard enough. I tend to go, I tend to just run it out. I go the probably the opposite way to I, I would rarely reinforce it because I've maybe I'm not good enough at blagging that or I always feel like I'd like them to feel like big ass heroes. Mm. If, if they crush this encounter, just let them crush it. See if you if you're using the old kind of classic morale rules, quite often they will have kicked in because yeah. circumstances would have meant that you've rolled morale and they failed it. And sometimes I just want to sit down and really want to play to find out what happens. And and using morale like that is a, a good, simple way to be surprised. You know, oh, my goodness, there's a couple of these goblins that will not lay down. Um, so that can be fun, but it can end up with a protracted situation. So if that's a if that's a risk, run them away and say, look, you're creaming these guys. They break and flee. Do you want to cut them down or you're letting them go? and draw a line under it. I've got another question. I've got another question. Hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go on, we've got it's some comments. It's linked. It's we've got linked some, some comments from Goblin's Henchman here off Twitch. So the first one is to speed up combat. Now. Speed, speed That's up it. Combat. You're going to have to wait, Henchman. Dave speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the, the podcast listeners love this. They love it. It's like we're on the BBC and we're <laughs> reading out news, people's tweets. From the here we go. Bill War 1. 
Everton yeah. too. I'll, I'll, I'll try and do it in a Bristol. We love your input. Sorry. Shall I do it in a Bristol accent? No, I won't bother. He said. So his first uh, uh, idea to speed up combat is double the damage for everyone, like running combat at double speed. Yeah. That's what we're doing it. And and his other one is spice up combat by not naming the monster and introducing a special attack midway through. That's a little bit like your DM intrusion yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like yeah, that. Nice. The first one, I'm not sure if it spices it up. I think it just makes it quicker. Yeah. Um, and that might be what you want. You might yeah, just want it to run quicker. Yeah, be, be, because... It's addressing that danger of getting bogged down. So, mm. what was you going to say, Dave? I'm intrigued now. Yeah, no, it's just it was just the um, the everybody flees one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why is right. the morale there? The morale rule is there. I'm going to speculate precisely for this reason, right? If they've clearly won, it gives you a mechanical excuse to have everybody run away. Yeah, that's what that's what the morale rule is there for. Well, it's also a bit um, of verisimilitude, isn't it? Like if yeah. you're getting a cane in, you you might just want to save your life and, and try and get away. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Unless well, the, I'm a well, I think it's as well. I mean, the, the strange the, creature. Yeah, the, 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 the morale rules are very useful, as Dave was saying. I mean, although I didn't sort of maintain strict morale rules, if it looks like the, either the NPCs are getting a bit of a pasting and they're not like mindless undead, well, they're not just going to stick around and get slaughtered. I mean, it's fairly obvious when like a group should think. Well, you know, maybe we might want to leg it. Or if you've if you've described like a goblin warband and they're being led by the personality of the leader, and someone like takes out the leader in the first turn, I might be like, oh, maybe maybe they want to like pull back a little bit, even if it's just to go yeah. and get more reinforcement. So, so actually, yeah. So I was a bit dismissive, but actually, I think you're right. Right. The other reason for morale is for very similitude. Yeah. Except that I don't know how gnolls really would behave. You know, I don't know whether Knowles really would run away, but the morale. No, but you do it with some, don't you? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but you have half answered the question because the question was going to be right. My interpretation: morale is about speeding out combats, having them roll away when they're clearly beat. Right. The problem with my interpretation is when they've got the creatures clearly lit. Quite often, my players won't let them run away. <laughs> so I'm thinking, here we go. Here's the end of the combat. They're all running away. They're going, hold on, we had them beat. I want to kill them all and take their stuff. <laughs> that, that is a good point. That is, yeah. a good, that is a good point. So yeah. actually introduce an interesting choice, right? You've got them beat. They're running away. Now it's an interesting choice. Do you pursue and finish the job or do you let... I, um, I, I actually had one of them... Um, well, in the recent games, I had one of the, the cultists surrender to them and thinking, well, at least they've got a prisoner there. They can interrogate them. So it lasted all about 30 seconds before one of them decided to stab him in the back. You think, ah, yeah, you can't win. just want to kill him, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. I mean, there is always the option. You say, all right, you want to kill him. I'm not going to run this. I want to move the, want to move the mm. session on. We're not playing chase the goblin through the woods. Boring and for the, for the, you know, for the good of the session, let's say... Let's make a roll, see whether you manage to cut them all down or what one escapes and, and, and maybe resolve it like that. Just say, look, we've been doing it. We've been an hour and a half at this <laughs> or whatever. You know, I've had enough, man. This is this is boring now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think it, it depends on the situation you're in. I mean, if we're in a situation where like the players have confronted like, I don't know, 30 goblins or something and they've hacked their way through 20 of them and the other 10 have run off. And they're like, oh, they're all still in fairly good health. And they're like, oh, we're going to run down these 10 and kill them all. I'll probably just go, fine, you, you run down the 10 yeah. goblins and kill them. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in my case, to give them the chance, and they, they killed him. So uh, little do they know. And I hope they, this goes up after the, the next session, because uh, in the two sessions' time, 
that that, that killing is going to come back and bite them on, on the backside with the vengeance because somebody's going to have to revenge for it. So I'll weave it into the story. Oh well, I mean, yeah. If you've if you've got like an exciting like chase scene lined up for these for these ten goblins, or it could potentially lead to something else that's interesting, then yeah, by all means. But if I've if I've got nothing planned, then I'm like, oh, we're just looking at like another fifteen minutes of them hacking down goblins, which are going to pose little to no challenge to them. I'll just be like, yeah, fine. I mean, y- y- you hack down the goblins. I mean, if if you want to add like a bit of extra stuff in, you can always have one of like one of the enemies sort of like pleads for their life or make some sort of offer to like spare their life. So you can still do things like that without having to do a whole secondary combat based on yeah. that. I suppose that sometimes you might get a bit of friction where some of the group wants to do one thing, some mm. of the group wants to do something else. They're clearly not happy with you just sort of like truncating the combat because they wanted to do this really cool thing with their hammer of doom oh man what i haven't had my go i was gonna do this i had this really cool thing and now they've all run off i went i was gonna my next turn i figured it out with this that and the other i could have killed five goblins and i could have still invoked you know the power of munchkin uh, yeah, as, as Goblin Henchman says on the on the, uh, the chat, he says the problem arises because these systems award the players for killing, not for letting people live. So when you got you got an XP system for killing and and getting yeah, if you, I mean, if you're using XP, but yeah, you also that's you true give enough, the XP yeah. for beating them, can't you? See, yeah. you give the XP if they run yeah. away. I mean, like yeah, I say, which, if, which I've always done. You don't have to batter something into. No. If you're using XP, that is definitely. You guide people. The, yeah. the XP definitely sets out the roadmap, doesn't it? Yeah, what it, tells, gonna do. it tells you what you're going to get rewarded for for doing in that game. But I mean, if I if I'm running like a D and D style game, and I know that for defeating these thirty goblins, you're going to get this amount of XP. If you if you put them all to sleep with a sleep spell and then like kill them all while they're asleep, or you trick your way around them, or you force them to flee, I'll be like there's the XP because you have defeated them you might not have killed them all but you've defeated them you've succeeded in that encounter but again that's one of the reasons why I like to have combat encounters that have some other goal rather than just like killing the enemy because then about the XP you're getting is for that goal so in the Midlands where you like you guys getting your black powder delivery through you got the advancement rewards for succeeding on that it didn't matter how many I mean, yeah, you'd have got a bit, like, you got a bit of extra loot because you killed some of the guards and you looted their bodies and whatever. But the the advancement award wasn't because it wasn't like kill twenty guards and you will advance. It was get this delivery through, and you will get the XP or the advancement. I I don't know about you guys. I've got one. I got one last tip, and all, all that was going to be was you you kind of know your system and, and get get your method slick so if, if there's a, an initiative system that sometimes causes a little bit of a stumble work out a way so that that just becomes slick and all your little stumbling blocks are cleared out of the way if it's a cheat sheet have a cheat sheet if it's using tokens on roll 20 and using a map do that just do what you need to make it flow smooth uh, be a smooth experience yeah, I mean, as you were saying earlier, Colin, it's all about that sense of movement, isn't it? I mean, let's face it, the aim of most conflicts, whether they be combat, a puzzle, a locked door, whatever, is we're trying to get from point A to point B, 
and this is getting in the way so we need to overcome this in some manner to get to our destination whether that's a literal destination or whether it's a case of oh we need to get that item and the guards are guarding it or or we need to like schmooze this noble but like the guards won't let him get near so we've got to work out a way to get to him whatever the goal is the the conflict is there to sort of be like a bit of a bump in that road rather than you strolling to your end game but you still want to have that sense of movement where it feels like you're working your way towards that end goal rather than it rather than the combat or the conflict or whatever just becoming an end unto itself because if there's no reason for it just sort of like hacking down a load of monsters isn't particularly interesting you're fighting the monsters because you want to get into the dungeon you want to get the treasure you want to rescue somebody it's that bit that's the interesting bit the conflict is just there to sort of provide a challenge on the way to reaching your goal so for my mind as you were saying earlier colin you always want to make sure that the the players are always moving towards some sort of goal Mm. have a reason for the combat well, I don't know about you boys, but that's me done. My yeah. list. I've done my list. There it is. You can hear it. It's yeah. actually preparation there. Joe, Victor. Dave's not the only one. So I've got my index cards here, man. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think we've got fairly we've got fairly spicy in there. Oh, look. Check, check. We've got two days. Oh, we're, we're, we're oh two, my God, two days. We're, we're two oh, days enough. for a second. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's not listening to us. <laughs> I don't know. Now, now we're streaming with all these multiple camera angles and all that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think we've we've thrown a, a fair amount of stuff in there that you can use to spice up your combat and a bit more general advice. Does anyone have any other questions or any sort of tips they want to throw in for sort of spy single per combat i mean i think i think we've covered most of the stuff i've got down i did have i've written down another couple of questions go for it i don't know how long they'll take us but i was all good so i had two questions and you might decide one's more interesting than the other um but one was going to be about initiative does anyone muck about with initiative in what way i mean it depends on the type of game um the other one was going to be about monsters how interesting the monsters need to be you know what's the what's the kind of minimum you need to have an interesting opponent? Do you need a big stat block? Can you get away with yeah, one for, decent for, power for a monster? For, for me, I never like uh, I never like to mention the monster's name. I'll describe them, but I, I don't uh, I, I don't like telling them what it is. If they want to guess what it is, that's fine. But I think there's a bit more mystery. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't use the names because likewise, it, it yeah, doesn't make sense. What? Why use the name if if mm. they know them and they've got a name <laughs> for them? Or use the name they've given them. If it's something legendary that everybody knows about, use it. But yeah, why would you? Why? Would I mean, you I mean, I think, I think it they, depends they a little name bit. It, so, sorry, go ahead, Dave. Fun. Yeah, if they name it, I quite like that. Yeah, that's cool. Like, I like to, and I like to reinforce that. I'll use that yeah. name, particularly if they've got the wrong idea about yeah, what it is. Yeah. I'll absolutely if got it wrong, write it down. It, yeah. Oh, the griblies. Oh, the griblies. Yeah. Yeah. With, with me, it sort of depends on the situation because, uh, again, to like use my Midlands game as an example, Colin's playing a goblin character in that game, so they all know what goblins are. They know what goblins like look like. So, if, so if like a load, they're going to see some like goblin alchemists in the next session. So if they're strolling to them, I wouldn't have any compunction about no, going no. like, oh, yeah. there's a goblin because they all know what a goblin is. Yeah. But I say if it's something more, more sort of 
esoteric more of a sort of strange monster mm. then yeah and it and maybe not something that encountered previously i entirely agree yeah i'd just go on the description but um in terms of your question about initiative dave unless it's like a really tactical system i'm running i don't tend to worry over much about the initiative as long as everyone in a combat gets an opportunity to act i, I i've not really found it's a big thing because um if you've if you've sort of set up a combat so there's like enough of a challenge for the party as a whole, then you're probably going to get at least one round of combat where everyone gets to act. So it, it doesn't really matter too much. Now I some doing ICRPG at the minute. I literally just use like I, I go in the order that people are in the Zoom window. But well, that's uh, basically rules as written. As yeah, well, isn't it? but um, but because it's up to the players. If, if we were running a combat turn and um, for whatever reason Colin was like, oh, well, Johannes, do you mind if I go before you in this because I want to set up something that you can react to later? If they decide that between themselves and they go, oh, yeah, Colin's going to go first this turn, I'll be like, fine. Because as far as I'm concerned, as long, the players can go in whatever order they want. Yeah, what's, uh, what's, what, what I found is when I was in my face-to-face group playing sort of uh, D&D, it tended to be that uh, a roll initiative, the players would go in order and then all the monsters would go together when they put with one role but now i'm using a vtt what i do is i do a role for everybody and all the monsters independently because it's all handled by the vtt and then I just go through so scouting one little attack then a couple of players and, and that that changes up a bit as well so is it so that's variety? yeah that's the thing I've, I've found i'm making initiative more rigid again because of online play you know because all the systems i've got basically they have a very simple initiative you either you either get a get something in before the monsters or you don't yeah, and then yeah. after that you're acting in the group whether you're using a d6 with old school essentials or whether you're using you know just a loose attribute role in black hack or electric yeah. bastion land but actually then it, then it actually takes time to let the players work out turn order yeah. um, and so for that yeah i'll do exactly that i'll just read around the order people I, on the screen I, i've got to work, won't work in bastion land because you need to know who's attacking what because everything mm. comes off simultaneously yeah, um, I, I do have to admit that combats um, are over in three rounds. Um, when I'm when I'm running more sort of traditional OSR games, and I, I tend to run them on like roll twenty, because the because I've got like a macro set where people can just like click on roll initiative and it adds them to like the initiative tracker. I, I'll just clear that off after each combat, and when we start, I'll just make one roll for the NPCs, and I go right, I'll click on that button, it adds them on there, and I'll just cycle through it. And we've actually got to the point where next session we're going to start using the initiative tracker for. ICRPG, not in terms of rolling it, just because when there's lots of stuff going on, it's quite easy to forget that somebody hasn't had a turn or what yeah. order you're in. So we're just going to have it set up with like the list of players, then the NPCs, and obviously if the players do want to like switch that around a bit, they can do. But otherwise, we'll just cycle through it just again for for, for ease of speed, basically. Yeah, I, I think that is one good thing. But if you use a VTT, that you know, a turn tracker does make it easier for when things get complicated and everybody knows what's coming up, even if you don't roll for it. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I'll tell you what, Dave, this question, it kind of touches a bit of a nerve. I faffed about with initiative, no end. Absolutely drove myself crazy with initiative. When I came back to D&D and then started looking at all the different rule systems and then thinking oh well we never used to do initiative like this and i quite liked it side based and that you know that peril of where you could end up with the enemy taking two turns in succession and stuff like Mm. that i thought oh yeah that 
that's a bit of drama. I like and then that. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was thinking, oh, pulling things out of a bag. And I was, you know, I was getting ideas from various different board games and stuff like that. And I went, I've been, I'll tell you, I've been all around the houses with initiative and I've just come in, in my 5e, I've just come back to rules as written. Everybody rolls, they add their dexterity bonuses if they've got, if you're playing with feats and it makes them faster or they've got magic item. So the individuals feel like they're getting the benefit of having that speedy, nimble yeah. character. And then it just stays in that order through the duration yeah. of the combat. Yeah. So yeah. you feel like it was fiddly, but the fact that it stays in the yeah. fixed thing, it actually is not I, I, that I big think, a deal. I think if you if you roll for each round of combat, that does slow it down. But if you just roll at the beginning and then keep it going, then it, well, that's it's the rule. I mean, that's it's designed so that yeah. you do that. I mean, and then you what, stay. And I think there are. I, I think it's done like that for that reason because hmm. otherwise, doing it every round, doing all that, and oh yeah, and oh yeah, and then I, oh, I yeah. forgot. Hold on, I forgot. I forgot my plus yeah. four. Move me up the thing. Move me. I'll go next. You know, yeah. you, you get that all over and done with at the beginning and then stay there. Yeah. What's nice here is that we're introducing two conflicting drives, which is quite good fun. You know, we talked about how to make things spicy. You know, actually, to me, spicy is when you indicate swingy. Seems to me like that D6 side-based initiative where the monsters could go twice. That's spicy. Yeah. yeah. You that, all think it but, is. But then you've got playable you know practical yeah. around the table yeah yeah as yeah. a nice little you know so we don't just want combats to be spicy we also want them to be easy to manage yeah pacey hmm. um, maybe pacey and spicy sort yeah. of converge but there definitely well, are two conflicting go- sort of drives go- goblin yeah, thinks uh, that individual initiative is overrated and mechanically time draining well, I mean, I think initiative, partly whether it's used or not, depends on the system you're using. Because if you're using a, like, if, if I'm using like a light system like ICRPG or Black Hack or some, or Fate or something like that, it, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is when the when the NPCs go and when the players go. The actual order of the players going, it, it, it can be anything. It, it doesn't have a great deal of effect. If you're running a system where certain players might have like abilities that enable them to go quicker or stuff like that. I would worry that if I wasn't using initiative in those systems, I was maybe shortchanging those characters a bit because they've put, because you are yeah, you are, yeah exactly because they they've put their feats or their XP or whatever you want to call it into going like right I'm a really quick fighter I want to make sure that I get the first attack I want to get the first punch exactly yeah so if you suddenly turn around then and go like oh well like the initiative order doesn't really matter it's just sort of like airy fairy then there's not really any point to those abilities which if you say to people at the start of the game when they're genning their characters oh we're going to be doing this sort of initiative and they know not to take those initiative abilities that's mm-hmm. fine but if you just sort of say oh gentlemen all D&D characters and they they pile all their feats or whatever into getting higher initiative and then you're like actually we're not really using initiative i mean yeah you can allow them to change them afterwards but those, those abilities are effectively worthless yeah. yeah yeah biggest thing is in online plays and in online play you do not want every round for the players to be having a tactical discussion no. about what order no. they're going in you just want a turn yeah goblin yes. is asked as well does anybody use the surprise rules i know i do use them. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i always use surprise rules yeah I, if it, if it what the old ones presumably the old ones because he if he doesn't like individual initiative that probably means he likes old games and yeah. I know he, and I know, so, he so <laughs> I know he does so this will this will surprise <laughs> henchmen but I so I'm all about if I'm playing old school essentials I want to do it all you know and that's a discovery yeah. that I made all. you're right the, all of the stuff about the thief skills and all of that if you don't play the surprise rules as written the whole 
the whole sort of shape of the game to me kind of changes. It's only yeah, in play. And I think it starts to fall apart. It yeah, starts to fall yeah. apart. Once you've got once you've got distances, you know, you've established distance to the enemy and you've realised that you, they haven't seen you, you've seen them. Now the thief can yeah. have all kinds of fun. All of those skills suddenly mean something, you know, and it, it, that's when the thief gets a little bit of spotlight. You know, the thief can go and scout things. They can try and do things. Um, and all of that comes into its own when you play the whole set of rules. Uh, and that was start dropping those out. Yeah. You've, picked a, you've mentioned a classic, Dave, that I was going to mention, encounter distance. How yeah. often? How often does that get pushed yeah. aside? That's crucial because yeah. if you're a range fighter, the number of times I've had a bowman or something and I've felt a little bit short-changed because how comes these guys keep jumping out mm. and they're within charge range of me? I- I'm supposed to be supposed to be able to shoot them from half a mile That's away it. whilst they're in their sleeping bags. I, yeah, I, I, I always remember back in sort of the early 80s when I started, though, you always rolled, you know, 2d6 or 3d6 to get your distance away from the counter. Always. Well, that's the, I've, yeah, that's I've got to admit, I mean, I, I don't tend to use the strict sort of encounter distance definitions, but but to use Colin's example, if I was like, oh, this, this party of like goblins are like rushing towards you and that they're, they're going to be in combat range like pretty much straight away, and there was like a bowman who was like, oh, well, would I have seen them coming and got a chance to like take a couple of shots? I'd be like, yeah, roll and take a couple of shots mm. now. Yeah. And they, they, they can do that. So they can still get the advantage of being like, oh, I've picked yeah. off a couple of them as they're running towards me. But t- to be honest, when things are like going along and you're trying to keep things it moving, it, yeah, it, it's, it's very easy. And I do this all, I'm guilty of this all the time. I quite play hold up my hands and admit to that. It's quite easy to forget. Oh, yeah, well, you would have seen them coming like eight rounds ago yeah. and been able to shoot them. But by just, if someone says, oh, would I have had a chance to do that? I'll just be like, yeah, because that's part of your character. That's the cool stuff you can do. So I might even randomise the number of rolls. I might just say, oh, roll a d6. Oh, you can take that many shots before they get into combat. Have them do the shots there. And then you can sort of narratively describe as these goblins are charging across with their swords. The archer, like, taking a few shots and a few of them fall to the ground with arrows in them. And you've still got the essential flavour of that even if, like I often do, you maybe forgot to sort of specify it a little bit earlier on. Yeah, I, I, I will say, I mean, that's, the, that's I'll give all the credit for this to Old School Essentials because there are loads of things about Old School Play. You, Colin will remember because he, he called in when I, when I reviewed it and said, no, nah, this was always there. It was all there, but I hadn't picked it up. I didn't understand it. But, but when I was running Old School Essentials, I'd have been inclined to just hand wave all of that stuff. But because it's there, it's there in the inside covers, you know, the procedures. It's, yeah. They're not that complex. And they're no, all they're there. And it's that wonderful thing, you know, and the, the players start to rub their heads. You know, okay, all right, so it's an encounter. All right, so we're in a fight. No, actually. No, you're not. This is how far away you are. Mm. The role's gone in your favour. You've surprised them. And suddenly they're like, ooh. You know, that's a whole different yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because it can be quite a, far away. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's in yards. And, yeah, and, outdoors. And likewise, if, if the players don't um, take precautions and just barge into a room, which I've had done, then I surprise the players. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. You haven't taken the precautions. You haven't listened. You've gone straight in. They get a free attack of you, and then we'll roll initiative. Do you know what I wonder? I wonder if the encounter distance has fell away a little bit because of VTTs, because you're going to struggle sometimes with the far-out distances to have the map incorporate all that space maybe not vtts but it's certainly gridded combat isn't it because i've done that you know even even in fifth ed right it's not interesting until everybody's on the table 
you know mm-hmm. so the monster, so so uh, you know you, you might do a little bit of loose yeah you can have a couple of shots but but you 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 are eager to set the things out in that situation on the table. So that, and that does, yeah, there are some advantages there which are just lost. You know, there are potentially some builds if you were thinking that and, way uh, that you wouldn't bother doing. He, yeah. here's, one, here's one for you, Dave, from, uh, from Goblin's Henchman. He says to counter analysis paralysis, use a live count with the players. Tell me you're acting in five, four, three, yeah, two, yeah. one. Move on to the next person. Thunderbirds, I'll go. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. or yeah. even 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 have a default attack and roll for yeah. them if they don't yeah. decide. Yeah, you know? uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, then, guys. I think we've we've sprinkled a suitable amount of spikes onto combats for this evening. So, obviously, thank you to Goblin Tanchman for chipping in. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can leave us a voicemail using the Anchor app, or you can drop us an email. The address is purplewormpodcast at gmail.com until we see you next time take care stay safe keep gaming and watch out for those purple worms Mm